ahead. Let's uh, open up now in God's Word, uh, once again, to the book of Revelation. On Lord's Day mornings, we have been uh, in a study of the book of uh, Revelation. Uh, We come today to Revelation chapter 14 and verses 6 through 13 of Revelation 14, verses uh, 6 through 13. Let's now hear uh, God's inerrant word. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever And they have no rest, day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. And this ends this reading uh, in God's uh, holy word. Let's now once again seek his help in prayer. Lord, our uh, God in heaven, we uh, love your word. Uh, We are thankful, O God, for its truth. We are thankful especially for how it tells us of our great and compassionate Savior, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. So would you lead us unto him now this morning and cause your word to be a living word unto us, that we might receive it with faith and love, lay it up in our hearts, and practice it in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. I think all of us have certain experiences or certain images that are, as it were, branded upon our minds. One of my earliest memories from my childhood was going and picking blueberries. And 
don't think I'll ever forget that moment as a child going and picking blueberries. Or another time when, again, when I was a, a kid at, at a particular day that we were visiting my grandparents many hours from us. And I can remember sitting in their living room on that particular day in a particular conversation uh, I had. And I imagine many of you, uh, perhaps it's early childhood memories or at different particular incidents in your life, and you don't know why, perhaps, but those particular things are, as it were, branded upon your uh, mind. You've never forgotten those things. Well, here in Revelation chapter uh, 14, uh, here, as it were, the Lord wants to brand our minds with certain images and words of angels that as we go through our daily lives, that these would be things that we would not forget, but rather be so convinced of that they stay with us and they impact the way that we view our world uh, today. And so our passage here today speaks of a voice of three different angels. Did you notice that? The first of them in verses 6 and 7 the second angel in verse 8, and the third in verses 9 through 11, each of them having a particular message to bring and an image to set before our minds that we would desire today, that our minds would, as it were, be so branded with these things that we would not uh, forget them. So the course of today's sermon is going to simply be this. Uh, we're going to first of all look at the first angel's voice in which we hear a sovereign God calling for your worship, verses 6 and 7. And then secondly, the second angel's voice, which is the voice of Babylon being overthrown. And then the third angel's voice in verses uh, 9 through 11, uh, which is the voice speaking of God's wrath being poured out on the unconverted and then lastly, we're going to hear a final voice in verses 12 and 13. And here it is the Lord's benediction upon those who are in Christ. Those are the four points of today's sermon, the three angels' voices, followed by a final voice uh, that we will see. And as we hear these voices and see these images, might they be things which stay with us. Well, first of all, the first angel's voice. And the voice is that of a sovereign God that is calling for your worship. Uh, it's a glorious scene that we have in verse 6. It's an angel. And this angel, John sees on this day, flying directly overhead. And as he flies overhead, he proclaims an eternal gospel to everyone who dwells on the earth, of every nation, tribe, language, and people. Uh, that this message is an eternal message, points to the fact that it is eternally valid, that here is a message about where you and I will be for eternity. It is a message that is eternally valid for all people. It is a message that is even rooted in God's eternal purpose and plans. But not only is it an eternal gospel, it is one that is proclaimed, it says, to all people. 
to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. It's that same phrase that's used of those who the redeemed will be taken from all the earth. So the message that the angel speaks is one that is for all peoples everywhere, that they might be redeemed and believe upon uh, the Lord. But you'll notice that this message in particular is called an eternal gospel. The word gospel here is that which refers to good news. We read frequently in our New Testaments of the gospel. However, interestingly here, uh, this passage doesn't say anything directly about the Lord Jesus Christ or about his death on the cross or his resurrection from the dead. And so how, in what sense, is this message found in verses 6 and 7 a gospel message? Well, we can say that what he speaks here is not the entire gospel message. Again, if we were to speak the entire gospel, we most definitely would say that this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus has come into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Or we would speak about how the Lord uh, has not only has not died for a righteous person, but that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. To speak the gospel is to speak much of Jesus and of what he has done for sinners. But the gospel message also includes something else. And that is a response that is called for. On the basis of the gospel message of Christ dying and rising again for sinners, what is it that you and I are to do? Well, we are to believe and to repent. To place our faith in Jesus Christ, turning from our sins unto him. And it is that aspect that this first angel here uh, dwells upon. That's what his focus is. He says in a loud voice, this gospel message, to all peoples, fear God, give him the glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs, of the water. In other words, this angel, as it were, is going forth to all creation and saying to everyone, there is a God who has made absolutely everything that exists. The hills and the mountains, the seas and the deeps. And he has made you as well. You have been created in the image of God. And you have been made for a relationship with this Creator. And this sovereign God who created the earth is still the one who, dwell, who, who, who reigns on high and is coming again to judge the world. So in light of this sovereign, glorious God who has not only made you but redeemed you, or redeemed mankind, uh, fallen mankind, is it not... Uh, your job then? Is it not your response on the basis of that to repent of your sins, to, as it says here, to fear God and to give Him the glory and to worship Him? You know, Paul uses much the same uh, uh, method of address, actually, in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 14 and verse 15. There he is speaking to uh, people in the city of, of Lystra. It's a city in which he's eventually going to be stoned for the message that he brings. 
But he there says in uh, 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 chapter uh, 14 and verse 15, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you, here's the word, good news, or the gospel. And what does he say that they should do? That you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And so there Paul says, I bring you a gospel, good news, that because of Christ's redeeming work, you should turn from all of these vain idols and worship and serve him. And here in Revelation 14, the angel, as it were, goes forth with that same message. There is a God of all sovereignty. Turn unto him. Worship him. Believe in him. You know, when our Lord Jesus Christ began his public ministry, it was actually in much the same way. What was, as it were, Christ's first word in his public ministry? And it was the word to repent. To repent. Mark uh, chapter 1 and verses 14 and 15. Uh, There we are told that after the ministry of uh, John the Baptist, uh, Mark 1, 14 and 15, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. And what did he do? He came proclaiming the gospel of God. There it is, the language again, the gospel, the good news. And what did he say? He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So, dear friends, part of this good news is that you and I, now, by His grace, are called to turn from our vain, worthless idols and worship the God who has made us and who is coming again to judge the world. And I just simply ask each one of you, is this image, as it were, implanted upon, branded upon your brain? That of the Lord who is high and lifted up, who rules over all things, surrounded by the angelic host, the creator of the universe, the Lord of time. It is this God who has made you and made you for himself and made you for his own glory. That's why you're here. Children, have you ever asked that question? Why am I here? Why do I even exist? Adults, do you ask that question? What what is this life all about? Well, the Bible says the life is about there's a sovereign God who has made you for his own glory. Do you see him in all of his splendor? You were made for him. And he calls you to fear him and to give him glory and to worship him. And so can I, like this angel, call you to do the same things today? Can I ask you, first of all, do you fear this God? Do you reverence him, this sovereign Lord, over all other things? You know, when you are tempted to anxiety and fear, maybe over your finances or a or troubling situation at home, or when you're fearful about the state of our country, do you set your mind on the living God? Do you remember that He is the one of all majesty and holiness and greatness who is above all things? Do you fear and reverence Him? 
But not only do you fear Him, do you give Him the glory? Do you desire that all of your thoughts and your words and your works would not lift you up, but lift Him up? Would redound to His praise? Would make much of Him? Do you desire that your life would be consecrated in every part for the glory of this sovereign God? Not only do you fear God and do you give Him glory, but do you worship Him as well? Is that the most important thing in your life, that you worship this God? Do you worship Him privately and in your families? And most importantly, do you gather with His church and worship Him? And is the worship that you bring to this God the worship that He desires? Do you remember the kind of worshipers that the Father is looking for? John chapter 3. It's those who worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Are you not merely going through the outward formalities of worship, but bringing to God the worship of your heart, remembering that He is the sovereign, glorious God, and so do you fear Him above all else, glorify Him, and worship Him? That's the first voice of that first angel. Okay, to worship this sovereign God. Well, the second angel's voice now is heard in verse 8. And this is the second thing that I want, as it were, branded upon our minds. And that is the voice and the image of Babylon being overthrown. Babylon being overthrown. We see this in verse 8. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Well, it's in the book of 1 John that we read of that uh, evil triumvirate of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, what is Babylon here in verse 8? Well, Babylon's referring not to a particular city, but rather Babylon here is representative of what we would call the world. In Revelation, Babylon stands for the entire world system of mankind living in opposition to God. It is godless human society, or what we might call worldliness. And that's what Babylon is. Now, Babylon, in our day and in every age, is very seductive in its powers. That's what it speaks of in the last part of verse 8. Babylon the Great, she who made all nations, it hasn't exempted any culture or any society in the history of the world, she who has made all all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Now here, this phrase of sexual immorality, it really stands for all types of idolatrous pursuits, much in the same way that it does in the book of Hosea. That same imagery was used in Hosea 2, what we read earlier. So it, it, it refers to all types of idolatrous pursuits, including sexual sin. Okay, 
But it's saying here that this world is living in rebellion against God. That, as it were, godless society encroaches upon the entire world and it seduces us. It seduces you and it seduces everyone else also. Well, in what ways are we tempted by worldliness? Well, there's lots of things that, you and I, that we could say. Uh, the world, on the one hand, uh, makes material things appear very alluring and satisfying, doesn't it? It preys on the, on the covetousness of our hearts. And so when we're a little child, we think, if only I could have that toy, right, children? If only I could have that toy, then I'll be happy. Do you think getting that toy is really going to make you happy? It doesn't. But when we're adults, we think of in similar ways. Oh, only if I could have that particular car. Or if I could live in, in that house. Or if I could have uh, that particular piece of clothing, or if I could have that other vacation or that exciting experience, then, then that would make me happy. And the world tells you to spend your whole life chasing after the next thing in a kind of pursuit of material pleasure. It's one way the world encroaches upon us, but another way is that the world tells us that physical pleasures are primary. It says to you that your body belongs to you and you can do, in fact, you have a right to do whatever it is that makes you feel good. Sexually, that there aren't any limits but your own pleasure. Wait until marriage? That appears prudish in the eyes of the world. But rather serve whatever physical pleasures, whether it's uh, sexually or gluttonous pleasures or any others, that you make those things uh, primary. That's a worldly point of view. Well, similarly, the world has a way of speaking, doesn't it? That encroaches upon us and tempts us. The world uses a a kind of sarcastic speech Continually. Now, sarcasm in itself is not always bad, but kind of the caustic sort of sarcasm that's often putting other people down and looking uh, skeptically at others and at the world around us. That's a worldly kind of speech. Or the speech that uses the Lord's name in vain. Or that cusses. Those are things that are part of the world's way of speaking. And again, there's a certain temptation to to begin to speak like that. Similarly, the world encroaches upon us by having a way of arranging our priorities and our schedules. The world tells us the things that are important. And as the world tells us those priorities, what's the thing that's always left out? It's God. It's church. It's time to study his word or spend time in fellowship with his people. And as we adopt the world's priorities, God gets pushed out. We could go on and on about the world, but you get the idea. My question is for you, for you is this, is this the type of, of life that you find at times yourself fantasizing about and longing for and even gradually falling into the habits of a life that is marked by worldliness. This is the seduction of Babylon the Great. 
teaching you to live with your mouth and with your mind and with your heart in ways that are godless, without God and without His standard and without His glory as your chief delight. It's the ways of Babylon. Well, Babylon comes to us, and I want you to hear, though, what this angel says about Babylon. The angel says to us, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Here the the tense in Greek actually speaks of a completed action. This day of judgment upon this world is so certain that the angel can speak of it as already happening. That its fall is both imminent and certain that it is an evil empire that is going to be destroyed. Actually, as as we get later into the book of Revelation especially chapters 17 through 19. It's going to be a a big explication of of the fall of Babylon the Great. And we'll consider it in more detail. But now you and I need to be convinced that indeed Babylon's days are numbered and they will soon end. There is a day coming when its idols are going to be exposed and it will fall under the visible and evident judgment of Almighty God. And all of the promises of happiness and satisfaction that the world makes are going to be seen to be absolutely empty and fruitless. And all who are marked by Babylon and by its ways are going to be destroyed. And so do you see why he wants this image in front of our minds? That of the fall of Babylon. It's because you and I are tempted by this world, to put our hope in the things of this world. And we need to remember that it is fallen, fallen indeed, and that it is going to come under the judgment of God. Oh, beware of what this sinful world is leading to. Can you keep this image of Babylon's fall before your eyes whenever it is that you are tempted to worldliness? That's the second angel's voice. So first of all, we've had an image, a voice given to us, that of the sovereign God and of his call to worship and glorify him who reigns over all. The second voice was that of Babylon the Great and the fall of this present world order and all of its idolatrous values. Well, the third image now that is to be in front of our mind is this. It's the third angel's voice found in verses 9 through 11. And that is the voice of God's wrath being poured out on the unconverted. God's wrath being poured out on the unconverted. We see this in verse 9. It says there, another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, And later it goes on at the end of verse 11, speaking of those worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. What's this speaking about? Who who are these people? Well, you'll remember when we spoke about this beast and its image back in chapter 13. Okay? And we said it refers to those who are given over uh, to this world's ideologies and this world's powers In other words, it is those who are unconverted. It's all who are unconverted. 
Ephesians 2 speaks of uh, the unconverted mass of humanity as those uh, who are doing the will of that prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. The Bible makes clear that you are either a child of God or you are a child of the devil. That you are worshiping and serving the living God or you are still under Satan's sway and under his power. That you are enslaved to this world. And that's what's being described here. When it speaks of those who worship the beast and its image and have his mark, it's referring to everybody who is unconverted. So what is it that happens to those who are unconverted? Well, the answer is, the sobering answer of Holy Scripture is that indeed all of those who belong to Satan are going to experience that same outcome that Satan himself will experience. And in reality, it is experiencing the unmitigated wrath of Almighty God in hell. And that's the image that is clearly brought before us in verses 9 through 11. And it tells us a couple of things about hell. And the first thing that it tells us is that hell is dreadful. It is dreadful. It says that all of these unconverted people, if anyone worships the beast, what will also happen to him? Verse 10, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Now this is the language, dear friends, of the unmitigated wrath of God. It's poured full strength, whereas, as it were, this world is under judgment but still experiences uh, 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 at times, uh, marks of God's common grace. Hell is going to be a place where there is no common grace, but rather God's wrath in its unmixed fury. Each will be made to drink this wine full strength into the cup of his anger. It uses the language there of Fire and sulfur, sulfur or brimstone refers to a a, a type of asphalt that is found particularly in volcanic deposits that produce both intense heat and a terrible smell. It's an image that is frequently used for suffering under God's uh, judgment. Now a person might say, well, aren't these just metaphorical images, not literal? Well, it, it may be symbolic. I grant that, but isn't it the case that when the Bible uses symbols, it uses them because it can't fully describe the reality to which they point. The reality is never less severe than the symbol, but more. And as it were, these symbols, these awful symbols here, of fire and of sulfur, the unmitigated wrath of God in His presence, as it were, not just an impersonal wrath, but a personal wrath, that is poured out upon unconverted uh, sinners. What a, 
what a dreadful place hell is. And it's exactly, though, what the rest of the Bible says about it, too. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, speaks about that time when the Lord Jesus is going to be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. 2 Thessalonians 1 8, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. That's what it's going to be. Or of Mark 9 in verse 48, where our Lord Jesus Christ, who spoke frequently of hell, describes it as that place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Hell, dear friends, is a dreadful, dreadful place. The second reality about hell is that hell is everlasting. Verse verse 11 says that the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image. There is no rest for them. It is eternal. And the forever and ever and the day and night of judgment is a deliberate counterpoint Uh, to what Revelation has spoken of as salvation being as well an everlasting salvation. If the delights of heaven go on forever, then in parallel to it, the Bible is clear, so do the miseries of hell. What hard words these are, but what truth. And that's important because some people might say, but is this fair? Is this fair? Well, Joel Beakey says this, and I think this is helpful. He says, we need to remember that the sins of the world are sins against the infinite and eternal majesty of God. And so they deserve infinite and eternal punishment. Friends, you and I cannot conceive of the greatness and majesty and infinity of this glorious God And so to sin against him is to make ourselves rightly, rightly uh, a culpable in his sight and subject to this infinite, everlasting punishment. You might say, I don't like it. Well, dear friends, the Bible tells us about it, and it is true. Friends, the reason that the Bible tells us about it, and as it were, with the voice of this third angel, seeks to brand this upon our brains and have us take this image with us so that you and I might turn in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do I want, as a preacher, do I want you to be scared of hell? And the answer is yes. I want you to be scared to death. 
And I want you to be attracted to the loveliness of Christ and the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ and of the greatness of his grace and of his majesty. But I also want you to be scared to death of going to hell. And because of that, to flee in faith to the only refuge. And friends, there is one refuge alone. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you believe upon him and trust in him who is the only one who can rescue us from the reality of everlasting hell? And so three images that we've seen branded upon our brains, as it were, that of a sovereign God who calls us all to repent and to give him the glory That of Babylon, this world city that is going to fall and be no more. And that of hell, dreadful hell for those who are unconverted. But now I want us to hear finally our fourth point. It is a final voice that is mentioned. It's not the voice of any angel in particular. In fact, it just says that it is a voice out of heaven. Verse 12 says, here is a call. And verse 13, and I heard a voice from heaven. And then this voice underscored, as it were, by what we hear then, in uh, what it says then, blessed indeed says the Spirit. So the very Spirit of God Himself now speaking this final word, that having these three words of the angels branded upon our brains, Where is it that we are to be left? Well, it is with a final message of benediction upon those who are in Jesus Christ. And it tells us in view of these things, oh dear friends, that there is no better life in the world than one that is lived trusting in Jesus Christ and living in service to him. Do you see what he's saying? Here, because these things are true, here is a call for the endurance of the saints. And how are the saints defined? They are those who keep the commandments of God in their faith in Jesus. They are those who trust in Jesus for the salvation of their souls and are seeking continually to live a life of faithfulness to his commandments in the world. And he's saying, in view of these things that we've spoken of, this is the best life. Endure in the life of faithfulness to him. And your Christian life is going to involve struggles. There are going to be struggles to persevere in faithfulness when you are mocked by this world. There are going to be struggles to deny yourself and to put sinful passions to death. There are going to be struggles when we feel the appeal and the draw of this world. But he is saying to us, dear friends, in light of these realities, endure in this faith. Keep going. Keep going. And why is that? And the reason is that because the end of all who are godless and don't trust in Christ is an end of terrible punishment and destruction, it is not so for those who trust in Jesus. 
and it is a beautiful word of benediction instead. I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. That is, to endure in this life, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, and to die in the Lord, which means in vital union with Jesus Christ, trusting in him, to die in the Lord, dear friends, is to enter into the most blessed state imaginable. It means that at that moment, that our faith is going to turn into sight, that we are going to be like our precious Lord Jesus, freed from all impurity and sin, that we are going to see him and experience the sweetness of his grace and the joys of his presence forever and ever, that we are going to be with him in a place where sin is no more. And this cursed world with all of its struggles and trials is no more when the toil of our labor is finally going to end. And we are going to be in his presence uh, forever. Friends, that's the blessed reward. Isn't that not encouragement to press on? What about this little phrase here at the end, for their deeds follow him, follow them. What would we make of that? I think here is precious truth for us too. You'll notice that it does not say that our deeds precede us. That is, none of us make it into heaven on the basis of our deeds. For all of our deeds, when weighed in the balance of God's scales, are found wanting. That is, that the only righteousness which secures our entrance into heaven is the perfect, spotless righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we are saved, justified, by faith alone. But friends, when you and I enter heaven because of the perfect, spotless righteousness of Jesus Christ, what this says we are going to find is we are, as it were, going to be look that we are, as it were, going to look behind us and see our deeds following us one by one. That is, that those things which we did, even small things that we did out of faith in God and for His glory and according to His commandments, dear friends, we're going to see that the Holy Spirit, as it were, has sanctified those deeds and they will have, we will see that they will have been used by God for the building up of his kingdom and for the comfort of his saints. They will, as it were, count for something in the sight of Almighty God. They please him. They matter to him. This is why it says in, uh, where is it, in Matthew uh, 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 20, uh, 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 Matthew 25, uh, when it, which is a passage about the sheep and the goats. And, and you know, when you uh, visit those uh, who are sick and who are in uh, prison, okay, when you, as it were, gave food to those who were hungry, you gave drink to those who were thirsty, when you welcomed the stranger, that is when you did small things, even the smallest, 
out of a genuine love for Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus says that whatever you did for the least of these, my brethren, you did it for me. Our deeds, as it were, follow us. Not deeds of merit, but deeds that we were privileged to offer to the Lord and that He is pleased to use in the service of His great and glorious kingdom. Might we seek then with these images firmly planted in our minds, to live our life for His glory, realizing that we do so under the watchful eye of a sovereign God who loves us. Might we do it turning unto Him every day. Fear Him, glorify Him, worship Him. Remember that Babylon is a fallen city. Remember the judgment of those who will be in hell. But remember as well the blessedness of all who endure and ultimately die in the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord our God, we do pray that these images that we have spoken of today, these words that we have heard, these messages which the angels have brought, would be firmly branded upon our brains and that we would not forget them No, Lord, our God, when we are tempted by this world, would we remember that it is soon going to be destroyed? O Lord, when we are tempted to apostasy, to give up the faith, or to look with envy upon the ungodly, might we remember the sure end in hell? Might we be faithful, O Lord, at spreading the good news of Jesus Christ that more and more might be saved? Might there be an urgency to it, we pray. And Lord, we do pray that we would remember the blessedness, that there is just an extraordinary blessedness to both a life of faith and to dying in the Lord. Oh Lord, remind us of these things, we pray. Impress these truths upon each of us. Impress these truths upon the children who are here, that they, oh Lord, would even from an early age repent of their sins And trust in Jesus Christ, living for this only Savior of sinners all of their days. Do this, we pray, in Jesus' name.